0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whittaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. I once heard it said that whatever the question is, the answer is always education. And my goal with the podcast is to always bring a diverse range of guests to the show. And before we start recording, one of the things that I ask them is, what will the person listening to the podcast learn that can benefit them? Well, I can promise you that regardless of who you are or what age you are or at what stage of your career you're at, that you're about to learn something. So do not make the mistake of thinking that this is just for women or just for women of a certain age because it's for everyone. Because today we're going to talk about the menopause. And as 80% plus of this industry are female, It's a highly relevant topic, and for the male listeners, as many of you are salon owners with female team members, it's also relevant to you, and as most of you will have a female clientele, it's also relevant on that level. My guest on today's podcast is Catherine O'Keefe. She has a business called Wellness Warrior, and she is Ireland's first menopause coach. In today's podcast, we're going to discuss the difference between perimenopause and menopause, dealing with the symptoms of menopause, the impact that menopause can have on morale, productivity and team retention, and how menopause affects hair, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Catherine O'Keefe.
1: Hi, Anthony. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Uh, thank you very much for making yourself available. Uh, this is going to be a, a very interesting episode. I know that uh, a lot of my listeners will get a lot out of this. And as I said to you before, we started recording. I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone, so uh, uh, I know you, you. I know you're going to help me through this because uh, it's an interesting topic and a very important topic. So uh, let me just start off by saying that when I did reach out to you to to ask if you'd be on the podcast, I had uh, no idea that your mother uh, was a hairdresser. Uh, and now you've also just told me that your granny was also a hairdresser, but you had a big career in financial services. So it's good to see that you've got, you know, a hairdressing background because, you know, you can relate to who my audience is uh, big time. But what I wanted to ask you about is, what led you down this path? Why are you on this journey?
1: Mm, that's, a, that's a good one. And I guess if you look at my um, my career today where I was over 20 years in investment banking, it's quite a change to work in the menopause space. But really, Anthony, it was my own experience. So I started perimenopause when I was 44. That's about 2013, 2014. And at the time I was still working in investment banking. And it really just, um, I guess it was kind of it was a wake-up call. Um, several things happened to me as I was, as I was starting perimenopause, and I wasn't, I didn't know what was happening. And I had gone back to college previously. I had studied part-time um for four years in natural medicine. I always had an interest in women's health. But as all of these things started to happen in my own body, I was kind of like, hang on, what, what's going on here? And I just found that nobody was talking about perimenopause and um, nobody was kind of talking about any of the symptoms. Like, OK, we know about the typical hot flush and night sweats, but in the perimenopause years in particular, there's so much more going on. And as I started researching, I just became—it was like you know, um, uncovering this great myth that all of a sudden, why is everyone so quiet about menopause? So I just started researching more and more. I started doing a lot of blogs, and just one thing, one thing led to the other. And I guess as I went through my own journey. I was able to share that with thousands of women that I've met and spoken with at this stage. And I do know firsthand, once you start talking about what you experienced, the relief, that other women feel is just unbelievable because they'll all say to you, God, you know, why does nobody talk about it? And, you know, thanks for telling me this. I was feeling the same. And all of a sudden, like I was doing talks all around Ireland and all of a sudden I realised that uh, women would come up to me at the end and they're like, I'm so relieved. I know I'm not going mad. And you're kind of like, we need to be talking about this. So I think it really evolved from that whole kind of black hole where I just felt... This needs to be opened up. We need more conversations. So one thing led to another, and I started working in workplaces. I started um, being involved in some work at the government level here in Ireland as well, um, in relation to the Women's Task Force that's been put together to look at not just menopause but all aspects of women's health. So many different um, avenues have opened up as I've gone through the journey. And like I started perimenopause when I was forty-four. I'm fifty-one now. And I'm still kind of, I'm probably coming up to the peak of perimenopause, but I probably have another couple of years to go yet, you know. So I have okay. plenty more to share with people.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I've got lots of notes that I made be- before we jumped on the call and I'm I'm probably going to be all over the place here. So um, <laughs> I did, uh, I, before we jumped on the call, I, I was looking at your website. I think I told you that before we pushed the record button. And it's a fantastic website, lots of great information on it. I watched all the videos you've got on there. I thought you were very brave i uh, I noticed that you've done a, a TED talk uh, on mm-hmm. your experience with with uh, menopause and that, you know, last year, apparently you spoke to over 100 companies that so you're in the middle of writing a book. Um, and all of this is about menopause and you and you call yourself a menopause coach. So what I want to ask you is, what, what exactly does a menopause coach do?
1: Mm-hmm. So I guess um, the work that I do is at the moment, you know, predominantly it's I go into workplaces and I educate and just basically you're equipping employees with education around, you know, what is menopause, just understanding menopause and how it can impact in the workplace. And most importantly, what you can do to support your yourself. So that's the work I do as a menopause and um, a workplace consultant. And then I also do kind of uh, one-to-one work. I've just halted at the moment because I'm under my book deadline, but I do a lot of work then, you know, kind of group work or one-to-one with women where you're just basically giving them the the facts, you're giving them evidence-based information on this is what happens in menopause, this is how you can support yourself and just knowing, having the knowledge being able to make an informed choice when it comes to menopause is so important because what you'll find is a lot of women will go to Dr. Google and as you know yourself, that can be overwhelming at the best of times. Mm. So going to Dr. Google when you're going through menopause, well, I'm telling you, that will lead to direct overwhelm. So <laughs> yeah. really, my aim is just to take the, the, the mystery out of it all and just to make it really simple and really practical so that women don't feel overwhelmed. Because that's the most common word I hear on a daily basis from people yeah. navigating menopause.
0: Yeah, there was another interesting thing that I, I don't know now if it was a video that I listened to or something that's written on your website, and and it said, that I, and it really stood out to me, it said change is hard and menopause is change. But, yeah. it, 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 but then you also went on to say how that there's also an upside about menopause that isn't really spoken about enough. And you you talked about rebirth and you talked about, mm. you know, on the other side of menopause, that, that there's this rebirth, that there's this feeling of, of being calmer, uh, perhaps being more confident, even being more empowered. And I thought I wanted to make sure I said that at the beginning of this podcast because I don't want it to, for people to think of menopause as being all doom and gloom, because it obviously isn't, is it?
1: No, and I, I'm so glad you, you, you've you said that because that's a huge part of um, my ethos and my thinking is that we can get um, overcome by everything in the media and the media is going to sensationalize everything and, and parts of that is good. It does help us get it out there and, and it helps shatter the taboo. But we've also got to be very mindful of generally when you're reading a story in the media, it is going to be a tough story because it's you need it to trigger emotion yeah what we've got to remember with menopause is is that it's not one size fits all every person will have a different unique personal experience and we know that that leads you to a place a deeper place i i always say that you know menopause it's a deeply psychological transition because the person you are at the start of perimenopause versus the person you're going to be at the end of the transition, in the majority of instances, you're a different person. You mm. are a more calmer, confident person. You're much more assured in your beliefs. And um, it's much easier for you to say no because you know what you do, what you do like and you know what you don't like. So you become more firmer in your convictions. And I think if we look at the Japanese don't have a dictionary term for the word menopause they have a term that they use to refer to this phase in a person's life and they call it kanenkai and that loosely translates as renewal years and energy and that's where i just think we need yeah. to look at menopause as years of opportunity because yes i may have symptoms but i can get a handle on those symptoms by knowing what my treatment options are and if i do that Then I can start looking at the menopause years as being, okay. this is my opportunity now where in these years, which are generally going to be your 40s and 50s for natural menopause, I am going to be really proactive and I am going to really ensure that I use these years to set myself up for success and health in my future years. So in my 70s, 80s and 90s, because we're all living longer. The menopause years gives us that opportunity because it's a bit like a, a knock on the door to say hey you know you need to listen to these symptoms that I'm telling you and um, because I want you to slow down I want you to take things a little bit easier I want you to maybe address stress in your life maybe I want you to deal with some emotional issues that you're experiencing I want you to listen and at the same time I want you to use these years to you know, eat better, to exercise more, to look after your stress, so that your health will be better in your in your older years. And I'm a huge believer of that. So there is a there is a big upside to menopause. The thing is, we've got to get over the hurdle, which can be the symptoms first, and and that's okay. kind of you know you can get blindsided, I guess, by those.
0: Yeah, of course. Why? Is it or, or has it, I should say, you, you use the word taboo. Uh, why is it or has it been such a taboo subject, even saying the word for a lot of people? Um, you know, in English, it, it's often just referred to as the change. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. As if you can't actually say the word out loud. <laughs> I know, oh um, I
1: like, me... <laughs> like, yeah, like,
0: like, why is there this silence or even embarrassment? around uh, around menopause?
1: I think there's a huge amount of stigma, silence, shame, embarrassment uh, around the word. I do think we are shattering that. Um, now, you know, that's, that's coming, you know, at a very high level. We have a lot of work to do yet. But I think a lot of that comes down to, you can look at, let's you know talk about women's health for a sec because that's an area that hasn't traditionally got the spotlight that it needs Mm. and you know even if you look at it from a medical perspective it's off it has been in the past referred to as bikini medicine because it's like well it's just kind of the bikini the bikini area it's nowhere else (laughs) that's still not the case. menopause impacts every part of your body you know yeah so i think there's the whole attitude that has been there for centuries in relation to women's health, not being a priority. Mm-hmm. And then if you go back and you look at like, you know, the, Victor- the Victorian ages and all of that, it was really kind of like it was, well, menopause, it was this time of hysteria where women were often put into uh, mental asylums when they were taught to just not be towing the line. Mm. They weren't following the, the characteristic role that, say, a Victorian woman should be should be following in those times. So it's, there's been a whole thread throughout history that hasn't done us any favours. Um, and then I think, you know, coming from, from those uh, years, there is this reluctance to talk, about what you're experiencing. And I think that's where, if you look at, we've only probably, particularly in Ireland, um, in the last couple of years, we start to talk more about menstrual health and period power. You know, so all of that helps the menopause conversation. But we just have not been good to talk about personal women's health issues. And in Ireland, we've even got a bigger issue because. We know that within, I always say there's taboos within the taboo of menopause. So talking about um, vaginal dryness, sexual health and all of that, that's another taboo within within this whole realm. But it's even bigger, say, for examples like Ireland, where you have generations of, you know, maybe predominantly Catholic and there's a whole religious, there's a whole like guilt mm. aspect that comes in here as well, which makes it even more of a shameful subject for to that they may not feel comfortable talking about so it's very complex and complicated in relation to the generational aspect of discussing menopause and you know i i definitely think we are we are making inroads but we still have a long way to go you know for people yeah. to feel it's okay it's normal to talk about menopause because remember anthony it's an inevitable normal life stage for all yeah. women
0: yeah is um, you know you're talking about generational th- stuff. I'm 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 wondering if you know like this generation today are very very comfortable talking about their mental health. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. older yes. than you. My generation could not really talk about mental health. You know it was just she didn't go there. Yeah. Uh, whereas today you know my daughters and stuff will frequently talk about their mental health, and it's just it's just a normal mm-hmm. part of the agenda today. So. Mm-hmm. How much of it um, is a generational thing that they're just more comfortable addressing issues of mental health? Well, l- let me ask that. Is it a, I know it's obviously a health issue, menopause, that it's specifically, well, not specifically a woman's health issue. We'll come to that later.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. But uh, is it a mental health issue or is it yes and?
1: yes and because okay. if you look at the if you look at the symptoms of menopause there's many symptoms of menopause if you google it you'll see over 36 38 but my list i have over 50 because yeah. i' go into a lot more detail but if you look at the symptoms which are the symptoms that pose the most challenges for many people it's the psychological aspects of menopause it's the it's the rage the frustration the mood swings the, the brain fog, the memory loss, concentration, the impact on sleep, the depression that can come, that causes far more um, impact to a person's life than often women will say than the, than the hot flushes. Now, obviously, that's going to be different to the woman who's having 20 hot flushes every hour. But, you know, I'm just saying if you if you look at it from, from a higher level. So I think I think menopause isn't just and there's not just a mental aspect to it it's everything it's all encompassing it impacts you physically mentally behaviorally every way so the conversation around it will the generation coming up be better oh my i I really hope they will because Mm -hmm. i hope we will have taken a lot of the the stigma out of it certainly will they have access to better information and be more empowered and informed definitely and um, because i you know i think we can all see that that's changing and we're all pushing at it in different countries at a government level as well so i certainly hope that that change will come but mm. you know i, I we've a, it's a long road yet though because for every person i'll speak to who's very open about menopause, I'll speak to five people who aren't. Yeah, you know? of so, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I just thought of something. It wasn't in my notes, but I'm just looking at the word, and I'm I'm wondering. Do you know anything about the origin of the word?
1: Yes, the origin of the word comes from. It was a French physician. Um, who basically came up he used to call it menopause and then it was abbreviated to menopause and and then you can go back to kind of greek origins you're basically just it's it's cessation the, the cycle stop is basically what okay. the word um, simplifies to um but it goes back to yeah it goes back to french origins and it's a word you know it's a funny one i i don't like the word menopause personally myself you know mm. i think there's you know i'm sure there's some groovier more hip <laughs> word we yeah. we come up with yeah, Um no. because it's just I guess so many connotations have gone on to it now, but I do think I don't think we I think the word is here to stay. Yeah. Um I, I don't think it, it will it will go, but um it's definitely you know it's changed, it was climateric, there was different words that came along at different stages. Um but I, I certainly do think menopause itself um as a word is here to stay.
0: Yeah, I, I was looking at it more from the literal translation of men and pause.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um
0: so on, on my, my sort of understanding of what I've re- researched from what I've heard you say, and tell me if I've got this wrong, is that there are essentially three stages of menopause. The first one is perimenopause, and you've used that expression a lot already. The second one is menopause, and then the third one is postmenopause. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's start off with talking – about each of those in a little bit more detail, yeah. because I am sure I'd never heard of the word perimenopause, okay, until I yeah. started researching you uh, and what we were going to talk about today. So so, so, what exactly is perimenopause? I know that you've said that you started at, at, at uh, age 44. Uh, is that normal? You know, what are the symptoms mm-hmm. of perimenopause? You know, that sort of thing. Let's just sort of dig into that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so to me, it's all about perimenopause because this is where perimenopause happens very gradually. The average age for a woman to start is forty-five, but I, I, I will say to Anthony, many women will start younger, many will start older. But this is where you kind of you get that it's an unsettling. It's like you're just not feeling yourself. You're just feeling off kilter, and generally, what you find is progesterone is the hormone that starts to decline first and then oestrogen will will start to, to fluctuate um, and then in line with testosterone but the perimenopause years are it's like that kind of slight shake happens in your environment in your world where you're not sure what's going on you just don't feel you're quite yourself and then as you go through perimenopause the symptoms might start to get a little bit louder. You know, you might start as you advance through a couple of years in, you might start the hot flushes. You know, your periods might start to change. They might, you know, start to go out by a couple of days, then it might be a couple of weeks, months, etc. So all of a sudden, the, the, the psychological tend to be kind of There in the beginning, in the earlier years and anxiety and so forth can become more heightened. But then the physical start to come in as you become closer to menopause itself. And very typically, the closer you get to menopause, the intensity of your hot flushes, your night sweats and possibly your vaginal dryness if you're experiencing it, they're going to become more intense. And menopause itself is the anniversary of 12 months without a cycle. And the average age of menopause is 51. So if you think if you're starting perimenopause, let's say at 45, and then you just hit menopause at 51, well, you've had a six-year journey there through Mm. perimenopause. So there's a lot, a lot goes on in those years. So the actual journey from peri to menopause through to post can be anywhere from four to 12 years. So it'll just, again, it's so individual what each person will experience. But once you hit menopause, then that kind of that birthday, that anniversary of 12 months you could have another one or two years where maybe you'll never have a cycle again you might have another one before you're kind of out of it completely Mm. and that's why when it comes to contraception because you know you can get pregnant in menopause that's why it comes to contraception they kind of say medically you're you need contraception up, up to the age of 53 so that you're fully fully covered you know But then after menopause, you go into postmenopause and that's not really, that's not a defined chapter. That's your postmenopause then. Um, Mm. You know, that that is it. Um, Can symptoms still happen? Yes, unfortunately, they can. The last symptom of menopause that generally tends to to go is the hot flushes and the night sweats. Um, All of the others, you know, may have already receded into the background. And I think that's one thing just to mention when it comes to the symptoms. You know, we know that one in four women will go through menopause, no symptoms whatsoever, or they're so mild that they don't even realise. Whereas conversely, on the other side, we know that one in four women will suffer extremely as they go through and then the remainder kind of fall in between. Yeah. So it's really important to kind of just remember that there's, there, there's a lot of symptoms, but there's nothing to say that you will get them all. I'm what? I'm, I'm, I'll be 52 in October. I, as as of today, I haven't yet had a hot flush, but I've had other symptoms, mm. you know, so they'll, they'll be different symptoms at different times. And then you can have a very different experience. You could be different to your best friend, your mother, to your sister, etc. That's why the individual nature of menopause is so important to remember, because it's also important from a respect perspective, because how you experience it will be very different. Mm. So if you're talking to somebody else, that's something that you've got to bear in mind because they might have very different experience. And that means their treatment options and their choices may be very different. And that's why I firmly believe we've got to always make sure any conversation around menopause also has to be a respectful conversation.
0: Okay. so there's no um, genetic predisposition. Do you know what I mean? If your mum started early, you'll start early. If (laughs) your mum had a tough one, you'll have a tough one. Is there any links there?
1: There's definitely a link to the age. There is a link to the age and there's different forms of menopause as well. Like we're talking here predominantly about natural menopause, but you can have early forms of menopause. And there's one form of menopause called premature ovarian insufficiency, which can happen very early. And um, the youngest girl I've met was in third class in primary school when she experienced hot flashes. She was nine years old. So that can happen very early. And genetically, we yeah. know that that can be linked to a history from your mom when it comes to your experience of menopause now this is where I'm I think a little bit differently here and the reason for that is because if you say your mom had a tough menopause we don't know what was going on in your mom's life as she went through that menopause and I also believe if your mom sailed through menopause I don't think we can take that as a guarantee because I think our lifestyles today are very different to what our our mums may have gone through their menopause act mm. so that can be a good thing or a bad thing maybe you're more conscious of exercise so maybe actually your lifestyle is better but maybe you're more sedentary so you know and maybe you've got more stresses in your life than our parents had you know our parents didn't really have the travel the traffic stresses that we have they certainly didn't have the technological stresses we have mm. so I think I think we've got to look at that a little bit differently because we're living in different times. Okay. You know, and
0: yeah. Are there any links to things like so this sort of connected to that question, uh to things like endometriosis? So mm-hmm. is there is yeah. there any link between, you know, whether you'll have a, you know, an easy menopause or a hard menopause mm-hmm. relative to things like endometriosis?
1: I think, unfortunately, if you have a history of of endometriosis and PCOS and some other um, conditions, the chances are that you may experience some of the symptoms of menopause more intensely. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I think you again that's where that education piece is quite important because you know often particularly with endometriosis a, a lot of women won't realize that they may see an exasperation in symptoms when they come to to menopause so um it certainly yeah it certainly can make you more susceptible all right
0: mm, okay if you're listening to this and a lot of my audience are, are, are women the majority of them are women uh, and i'm going to guess and say the majority of them are probably in their 30s. Uh, I'm thinking that a lot of them are probably thinking that menopause is something that old ladies get. And <laughs> what you're pointing out is that perimenopause, you know, I think you said uh, 40, 44 or 45 was the average mm-hmm. age. Uh, so I'm sure some of them will be shocked by that. Um, what should women be doing to prepare um, who aren't in perimenopause, is there anything they can do to prepare to make sure that their bodies are, are more, yeah. you know, capable of, of physically and psychologically dealing with that sort of thing?
1: I, oh, massive. I think it's all in the preparation. I, when I do um, talks, you know, I have younger women in the room and if they haven't yet gone through menopause they're not in an earlier form, I, I literally just say to, you know, you're so lucky because they're going to be armed with so much information. And if you have the information, it takes the fear out. of it. Because one thing that, you know, we certainly, we hear a lot here in Ireland at the moment is, you know, a lot of people are fearful of menopause. But if you're armed with information and facts, then it takes all that fear away from it. And you can't be so scared. But it's so it's all about knowing what menopause is about and how it can look in your body. The other thing is definitely being proactive. So going into your 40s and bear in mind, like, you know, for every woman I will see who starts perimenopause at 45, I will also see someone who's in their very early 40s who'll start menopause. So we definitely, you know, are there are women starting earlier? I think so. From what I'm seeing, I think so. So you know. Don't don't just think that this is in the 50s or late, mid, mid late 50s. It isn't. This is your 40s. Mm. So really from your 40s, you want to be thinking about your weight. Managing your weight is really important because as you go into perimenopause, it becomes harder to um, manage your weight. So ideally, you want to go in at the right weight based on your height, etc. And then it's just really understanding. Understanding the importance of food, understanding you know that fad diets aren't your friend in menopause. That's my personal view. Really, this is when I really see the power of good nutritionally dense foods in your diet. So making sure that you understand how valuable protein is, how understand you know understanding the complex carbohydrates are you know how good they are. Moving away from the white starches to the the whole grains, your brown rice, etc. And um, you know under understanding that nutritionally as we get older we need more nutritionally dense food because our body won't absorb it as easily as it did when we were in our our 20s and 30s so we've got to change how we think about our everyday life so from movement through to um through to exercise and through to the food that we're putting into our body every day and then most importantly Anthony is your stress management. It mm. is vitally important to manage stress in these years because as as you know, stress impacts everything. It impacts our hair growth, it impacts hair loss, et cetera. Mm. So making sure that we're doing everything to preempt stress and, you know, maintain calm in our lives is really important. And knowing, you know, where are the stresses? How can you, how can you kind of buffer yourself against these stresses that are, a lot of them are inevitable in life, but yet we need to be able to say, okay, look, these are stressors for me. They may not be a stressor for somebody else, but they are for me. My resilience might suffer a little bit as I go through perimenopause. So now I want to be really conscious of this and understanding, well, what helps me with stress? So for me, my stress buffer is exercise, it's running, it's going up and um, hiking up the mountains. This is what I know buffers me from stress as well as you know good food and so forth. So it's just bringing in all of these little tools so that you've got your own personal toolkit ready to go to support you as you go through um, perimenopause, and I think what, the one thing I would say is, you know, don't don't take the ostrich approach. Don't put your head in the sands because you cannot skirt menopause. You can't avoid it. You have to go through it. Mm. So it's going through it with all the tools. It's going to make it a much more positive experience than going through it kind of like a rabbit in headlights.
0: Yeah. So uh, perimenopause and menopause. Is one of them more about physical changes and the other one more about psychological changes, or is it all just mixed in there together?
1: It it is pretty much mixed in there together. Definitely the physical changes become more physical Mm -hmm. as you get closer to, to menopause itself, that culmination. You know, the, the, the night sweats will get more intense, the hot flushes will get more intense, but the psychological will still be going on. The anxiety may still be there. I know personally for me, I actually found the early perimenopause years, that's where I had more of the kind of my confidence took a knock. You know, different things happened that it was just kind of like, oh, my God, hang on. What's going on here? This isn't me. Mm. Whereas I wouldn't have that now. So it's, it's understanding that the symptoms can be a bit like clouds. They'll come and they'll pass through. Some of them may stay and hover a little bit longer, you know, and others you just may never see again. Restless leg syndrome, I had that months ago or not months ago, probably years ago. I've never had it. I haven't had it in years. Hmm. Electric shocks, I had for a couple of weeks, never had it again. So well, it's kind of, there's a transitory nature to yeah. the symptom as you go through these, these years.
0: Okay. Um, what about treatments? I mean, most people are mm. probably familiar with that term HRT, hormone replacement therapy. Yeah. I don't know much, much about it. Yeah. Uh, can, can you talk to us about HRT, the upside, the downside? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So HRT is, and I, I, I think, you know the word replacement is coming under a lot of focus at the moment because uh, it's not like, I think really it's hormone therapy. What you are doing is as you go through menopause, you've the three key hormones we mentioned earlier: progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone, and these are all changing, fluctuating, declining as you go through these years. With the um, with the end state that you come to, a kind of a, a, a plateau where your body has Settle down to a lower level of hormones. But as you go through that transition, this is what creates the flux, which results in the symptoms. So what you can do is you can look at hormone therapy to add in some of those hormones that you know or that you're working with your doctor, you will know are creating the symptoms that you're experiencing. For the majority of people, the starting point is going to be progesterone and estrogen. And when you have that, you need, there's a few caveats to take into account. When you still have a uterus, then you must have a progesterone because progesterone protects the uterus from endometrial hyperplasia which in some cases may lead to endometrial cancer. So that's why progesterone is very important. And then estrogen will impact, as we've said, you know, the body throughout, top of the head, right down to your toes. If a person has had a hysterectomy and doesn't, have a uterine lining there to protect, well then maybe they just need oestrogen only. Sometimes a small small outlier to that can be depending on a personal history of endometriosis, you know, working with your consultant. So you're really looking at it can be progesterone and oestrogen or oestrogen on its own. Now, the vast majority of women will do very well on progesterone and oestrogen. I always say you need to give it about three to six months for it all to settle down, you know, for the body to adapt, because you will have um, a few, you know, could be a few couple of weeks where you will have side effects from HRT and your body just needs to adjust to that. Mm -hmm. But then say for some women, say after six to nine months of tweaking and really working on progesterone and estrogen, let's say they still feel exhausted or they still feel their brain fog is still quite intense or their libido is still non-existent. Well, that's where you may have a conversation with your doctor around testosterone. And there's more research and more conversation starting around testosterone now, but it is an area of limited clinical studies. So that is something to to bear in mind as well. But the vast majority of women will do very well on progesterone and oestrogen. But the next most important part of the conversation is the root of administ- administration. So how is it being absorbed into your body? And we know under the British Menopause Society, the first port of call is transdermal HRT. So transdermal basically means it's being absorbed through the skin. So that could be through a spray, a patch, a gel or local or a vaginal oestrogen. When it's absorbed through the skin, it means it bypasses the liver and that reduces the risks. Now, the risks of the modern forms of HRT, we know are a lot less than, say, the older oral forms that were out there. So all of that has to be taken into account. But with the caveat, it's your personal medical history has to be factored in as well, because if, say, for example, you have a history of um, blood tr- blood clots, deep vein thrombosis, then certainly oral forms of HRT wouldn't be recommended. But it's not to say you couldn't have a discussion around transdermal going through the skin. Okay. So the root of administration is really, really important. And the forms of a hormone um, therapy, they're changing now the whole time. I mean, we're seeing different forms. I mean, the spray came on in the last two years. You know, we're constantly seeing new forms coming on, which which is very good. We need it to evolve. And, you know, as it evolves, we, we learn more. But so it's really important to kind of sit down and have that conversation with your doctor because it's important to understand the risks and the benefits. Yeah. The benefits, we know are symptom management. We also know that estrogen has a protective roles play in relation to our bone health and in relation to our heart health. Now, we do know there are no completed clinical studies as of yet to say that estrogen will prevent dementia or Alzheimer's. And that research is ongoing in in the US by Dr. Lisa Moscone at the moment. So that is an area that we still don't know, you know, the the end results. But we definitely know there's a protective element when it comes to bone and heart health. And then if we look at the risks, the big ones you'll hear about are breast cancer, um, stroke and deep vein thrombosis. When you look at breast cancer, you really have to look at the facts. We know statistically excess weight poses far greater risks of breast cancer than hormone therapy does. We also know that drinking excess alcohol over the recommended um, allowances poses a greater risk than using combined HRT. So really important just to have the facts together. And when it comes to to stroke and deep vein thrombosis, this is where the root of administration, that transdermal form is very important because that will have a different impact, you know, for you personally. Mm. So... the the individual nature of prescribing is really important here. And, you know, I think um, certainly, you know, we've a lot of work to do in Ireland in relation to um, doctors coming up to to speed uh, in menopause treatments and understanding. And I know it's pretty similar in the UK. You're probably a bit ahead of us, but, you know, that education part is is really, really important for people to understand. And then also, Anthony. We're, you are, you know, you're also going to have people who maybe HRT is contraindicated for them, or mm. simply maybe they don't want to use a medication. Mm. So then you've got to look into. There's other um, options yeah. that are available. We know that cognitive behavioural therapy (CBT) is hugely impactful for many of the symptoms of menopause. We also know there's limited clinical studies, but we know anecdotally we know that women respond really well to acupuncture, a form of traditional Chinese medicine when it comes to um, some of the symptoms of menopause. And also there are many herbs um, that can be used, particularly, again, the the traditional Chinese herbs that are hugely beneficial when it comes to menopause. So there's a huge spectrum of um, experiences as you go through menopause. And so that means that inevitably, like everything in life, the choice is going to be unlimited. It's really finding what you know works for you. And I always kind of say to, to anyone going through menopause, it's like it's your menopause. Nobody in the planet will experience it like you do or know it like you do. So trust your intuition, trust what your body is telling you and work with kind of the signs, the, the signposts that your body has giving you in relation to what you need to do to support yourself as you go through menopause. And mm. like also if we think about it, you know, we, we've, we've concentrated a lot, you know, in relation to natural menopause, but a lot of this impacts the various forms of menopause. And we've also got to bear in mind some of the forms of menopause are far more challenging. The earlier Forms due to surgical or medical also the transgender experience as you go through menopause they're deeply more challenging there's more psychological issues to 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 navigate as well as, well as the physical challenges that come as well so yeah. the individual experience is, is, is paramount
0: okay so let me ask you about menopause in the workplace because a lot of the people listening to this will be the majority of them will be business owners and uh so you know most of what we've been talking about up until this point is about the individual dealing with their experience of menopause but from a business owner's point of view whether you're male or female uh you are going to have team members uh, quite possibly that are are going through the menopause what are some you know uh, so, some key things just quickly that we can sort of cover off on that are a responsibility of an employer and some of the things that the employee could be doing to make their life at work you know better
1: yeah the first place to start is look at the role So let's say, for example, and if you don't mind, I'm going to use a very typical example of a hairdresser. So my mom would have suffered um, massively with varicose veins because of standing on her legs for, for so long. So you have to look at the role that your employee is doing, because if it is someone who is experiencing, let's say, aches and pains, and they are standing on their feet a lot, maybe you need to incorporate flexibility for more breaks throughout the day. So understanding the role and the impact that role may have on the symptoms and bringing the two together is really important. That's where you start because say for example, if again, you have someone working with you who's wearing a synthetic type of a uniform, depending on the ingredients that might exasperate hot flushes. So again, you're looking at the role, you're looking at clothing, you're breaking it down into basics. Looking at the role is the start, it's the foundation. And then it's building on, well, what can you do to support? And it's also encouraging your employees to talk to you about their menopause. I'm a huge advocate of encouraging people to bring it up where they feel comfortable um, in their workplace. And I always kind of say, look, you know, if you are going to bring it up, give a bit of notice because you might just say, listen, you know, Anthony, can I speak to you next week about a menopause symptom I'm having at work. Because what that would do is it would allow you as a manager or a business owner to go off and just make sure you've done enough research that you can mm-hmm. sit comfortably and have that conversation in a supportive and collaborative way, which is really, really key. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then it's really you really want to encourage any woman who's experiencing um, symptoms to have their own toolkit in place. So let them come with the solution. So it may be that they may say, look, Can I change my uniform? Can I use a different ingredient? Can we talk about this at least? Or can I take a rest break at a different time? Or let's say if you have an employee who's experiencing some of the urinary issues of menopause, you know, how easy is it for them to access the toilet facilities? So it's just you have to have flexibility because we know that under the employment regulation and laws, reasonable um, adjustments are a requirement of an employer so that means you know looking at that role and how you can best support that role and where it's also fitting in with your with your business model and your business structure because you know you're going to have so many different roles that it's going to be different flexibilities and um uh, you know different supports that you're going to put in place based on each role and that's why Looking at it from from that foundation level is really important, but it's also kind of just making sure that anyone who's working with you is comfortable to talk about their menopause symptoms. We know that when it comes to it, you know, we can not be derogatory or um, condescending in relations to the experiences of menopause. We've got to understand that they can have a deep, far-reaching impact on a person's life, and it's not just the person experiences. It's the whole unit. It's the family unit. It's their friends. It's the community. It's their work, colleague. It's society. Mm. So it's understanding that there's a much bigger picture to the menopause conversation.
0: Got it. Okay. well, so much information. I know we could dig into that a a, a lot more and I'd love to if we had time, but unfortunately we don't. But there is one thing I did want to, to finish up on, and that is that we're not just talking about, you know, menopause for ourselves, if you're the listener and you're the woman listening to this, uh, or for your team, but it's also the issue around the fact that we're hairdressers and that we have the predominantly there'll be female clients uh of the audience that are listening to this. So, what impact does menopause and HRT and everything goes with it? What impact does that have on the hair? Because you will often hear people talk about, you know, during a woman's cycle, et cetera, that there are different reactions chemically with getting color to yeah. take and all that sort of stuff. So is there any any sort of research on on menopause and hair and hair color and thinning hair and all that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like we, we know that it's 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 one of it's not the most common symptom. But it's pretty common that a lot of women will experience thinning hair. They will experience a lot of hair loss. They will just experience uh, changes in relation, as you mentioned, colouring as you go through the, these years. And then, unfortunately, on the flip side, you have the excess hair growth in places you don't want it. you know, on the face and chin and, and so forth. But hair loss is a big one. And, and like like you know, everybody loves their hair. And in a lot of ways, your hair defines you. So as you kind of experience changes in your hair, as you go through menopause, that can really impact on confidence. It really can. And that's something I would see a lot where, you know, women will talk to me about the fact their hair gets really thin and they it really distresses them. Mm. So it's really important, you know, um, I kind of, say is you know be knowledge be aware of it be very you know make sure that you're putting some time and effort and thought into the products then that you're using on your skin and you know making sure that you're you're stimulating i'm, I'm a huge believer in kind of stimulating um your scalp to make sure that you're encouraging and um, good follicle growth there as you go through these years mm. and you know this is the time when you want to reduce kind of using a lot of intense heat on a you know, every day on your hair, you know, this is your, your hair needs more nourishment in these years. And, you know, you can do that by kind of the products that that you use and how you support it, you know, through your hairdresser, you know, as well. And it's also then the food that you put into your body is going to help with your hair growth as well. You know, we know that um, um, biotin is very good when it comes to um, supporting our hair as it is our nails, etc. So it's just making sure that you're, Again, coming at it from a three hundred and sixty approach, yeah. and just realizing that your hair is going to change. I mean, I, I'm blessed. I've got a huge amount of uh, thick head of hair, but I notice, Anthony, I lose a huge amount of hair now mm. when I wash my hair on mm. a weekly basis. But um, it doesn't. It doesn't know.
0: have a negative impact on hair color taking.
1: Um well oh, it can. oh it we can oh we can I mean it right. can definitely okay. I, and you can see like you know I colour my hair I do use ammonia free um hair colouring but sometimes I know that um for many women they can find it just maybe won't take as well as it yeah. would have taken before mm-hmm. for them because remember your your body's changing your hair is changing too so that's where it's really important to just kind of make sure. You know, I, I think the majority of women will have a good, you know, open conversation with their hair around their hair with their hairdresser because I know a lot of women would say, Oh, my hairdresser said it to me that she knows my hair isn't taking colors as well, or that my hair is thinning more. And mm. at certain parts, it might be around the over the forehead along the sides of the hair, or you know, it can be in patches, which sometimes can be. As a result of the hormones, it can also be if there's stress as well, that you know, sure, the kind yeah. of the more, um, alopecia uh, type.
0: Okay. You know, but yeah. Well, unfortunately, I know we have to finish up. You have another call to jump on, but we could have spoken about this for a lot longer. But I do want to thank, thank you so much for your your time today. Uh, whereabouts can people connect with you? I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I will put your website address in the show notes for today because no uh, I know you've yeah. got a lot of resource on your website and I'd encourage people to go there. And I'll also put your Instagram Uh, uh, link in the show notes as well. So people can find out more about what you do because I know you have a lot of resources available. Uh, So I'll put those links in the show notes and on my website, growmysalonbusiness.com. If you've been listening to this podcast with Catherine O'Keefe and you've enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories, and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple podcast app. So, To wrap up, Catherine O'Keefe, I really want to thank you sincerely for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast.
1: You're very welcome, Antony. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you.